Good morning, church. How are you doing? Y'all look great out there. Will you stand to your feet? We're so glad you chose to come into the house of the Lord today. And during this first song, if you can maybe squeeze in a little bit closer to one another, find somebody that you haven't talked to this morning, give them a handshake, tell them glad to see you in the house of the Lord today as we start and sing this morning.
And we just invite you in, Lord. We lift our praises to you, God. You inhabit the praises of the people. Hallelujah.
Every single one of us that are going to Guatemala last weekend with our breakfast down in the gym was extremely successful. This is how God works. Uh, you know, I, I'm a numbers person. That's my background. So I have a, okay, this is what we're probably projected to make. And it went above and beyond that, again, because of your generosity. And then Tuesday night this week, about 945, we got word from Guatemala that the fully, van- fully vaccination restriction had been lifted and instantly, I had like five people within our group that from two days before Christmas, when we found out that you had to be fully vaccinated, have stayed on me. Man, if they open it up, if they open it up, I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And because of your contributions, this has been pushed on them and helping them. We have five more going to Guatemala the 1st of September. Now, that has nothing to do with communion. This Friday, this past Friday, I was down at Doug's. I was getting the oil change in my truck. I walk in, and I'm focused on working on my message for tonight. So I've got a book, and this guy, man, man, I love your haircut. If I had hair, I would, I would definitely cut it like that. And I'm not even looking, but I look over, and I guess it's the, the face that I make. This guy has no hair on his head. And he's like, man, I, I promise you. And I guess it's my face because the weekend before, Misty and I were down in Nashville. <laughs> we got out of this elevator with this other couple that are slightly older than us, and then I've got big ears, so I hear she's like, he's too old for that haircut. So I'm like, okay, so maybe this guy's attacking me. I don't know, but I look up. He has no, no hair on his head. He's like, serious, man? I would die to hang on to hair like that. We're more than just haircuts. We're more than just a head full of hair. And our Lord and Savior, man, I would die for that. Well, he did. 
every single day, man, we should wake up. We shouldn't put, uh, do I have a head full of hair? No, I was died for. And I was hung on for every single day with all the upside downs, stuff happening in Ukraine. Just listen to the prayer request for the, for the worship team. Man, we've got so much happening in our lives that we're trying to hang on. And we definitely needed a savior and someone to pay our price again and again and again. And we're, we're definitely not too old for that. So this morning, man, I want to add just encouragement. Let's be thankful. Be thankful for the sacrifice. Be thankful that, man, someone literally died for us, but then three days later rose from the grave. Let us reflect. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you for your son. I thank you for the sacrifice. I thank you for the resurrection. Or we can talk about and laugh about haircuts and loss of hair and what we're hanging on to and what we're too old for even. But when push comes to shove, when life is upside down, we have you to grab hold to. And you will never let us go. Let us reflect. Let us meditate. But more importantly, let us give thanks. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.
you just lift your hands to him right now? He's faithful. I'm calling on the Holy Spirit. Almighty river, come fill me again. Come and fill me up again. We thank you, Lord. You're faithful, God. You're faithful, God. Can you just declare that to him? God, you are faithful through and through every time, Lord just give you praise for what you're doing in the midst of your people, for who you are, God, and what the future holds, God. We can't just continue to look at the past, God, but we look toward the future because the future you hold in your hand, you have. So, God, we thank you. We give you praise. Thank you for the word that's going to be delivered today. In Jesus' name. This week, as I was thinking about the last of this this series that we're in, I was drawn in, in thinking, and the Holy Spirit led to, to me, one of the most telling Bible stories of this question, where are you, God? We've all had them, Right? Well, we've all had that moment where we thought it or stood on the rooftop and screamed it. Where are you, God? So we, we might as well admit it. It's better than denying it and pretending that it's not real. Maybe it went something like this. Maybe you walked into work on a Monday or maybe it was late on a Friday and the boss told you your services were no longer needed. Maybe even worse than that, maybe your spouse told you you were no longer loved. Maybe it was a child that told you they were no longer willing to listen to what you were telling them. Maybe your team is no longer in the tournament. (laughs) Or wasn't ever there in the first place. Now I've offended everybody. Maybe your hair's not cool anymore. If I had any, maybe you worked so hard on your recovery and in a weak moment you lost it. Maybe someone you cared for deeply is no longer breathing. God, where are you? Just like we said, God, I need you now. I need you now, right now. Where are you? In John chapter 11, there are two ladies that most obviously felt that sentiment. Their brother had gotten sick. And, and, and people get sick all the time, but they were friends with Jesus. They were kind of in the inner circle. If they'd had cell phones, Jesus would have been on their speed dial and they would have been on his. They knew him that well. And they sent word to Jesus that his friend, their brother, Lazarus, was really, really sick. Jesus was about two miles away. 
I mean, in our world today, what is that? I, I mean, you're there at a split second. Bradley's running there in like eight minutes. You know, it's like two miles is nothing. But in their world, on dirt roadways and hills and just walking in sandals, but still, two miles, an hour. You're, you're, you're there. You're there. But Jesus chose not to come. He even said early on, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that my father can be revealed in an even greater way. But they didn't know that. They didn't know that at all. In, in fact, it's really interesting. If you've got, a, you've got your Bibles open, I want to show you something that's really interesting. In John chapter 11, when John starts recording this, now understand, John is not recording this as it happens. John's writing the Gospel of John around 80, 90, so a, a several years after this had happened. But it's really interesting to me that in John 11 verse 2, He defines or describes Mary as this is the woman who anointed Jesus and wiped the oil with her tears and her hair. And he says that John 11 too, and he said that this is the woman who did this as if it has already happened. But it's in John 12 that that event is actually recorded for us after the resurrection. Now, whether it's just because God was giving him the foreknowledge of this is how this is all going down so that this could happen, or he's just remembering it and he like told this story first, this story second. But it's really interesting. It's the same moment. And here's what's interesting about it. Because Jesus knew that thing that he said, I'm glad that I wasn't here so that you're, that God may be revealed. Jesus knew that Mary's faith was about to be multiplied. In a significant way, because in John 11, when he does finally make his way from down to Lazarus' house, Lazarus is what? He's dead. How long has he been dead? Four days at least. He's been in the grave four days. And so he's been in there for a while. Now here's the interesting thing about that too. In Jewish, in the Jewish heritage, there was this belief system that it was at least possible, plausible, that if a body had been dead for 72 hours or less, it could suddenly start breathing again, and that it wasn't really dead, it was kind of someone in a coma. So how significant is it that when Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days? Let nobody mistake what's happening here. And Jesus is teaching in that moment. And he gets there, and here it comes. What are the first words that he hears when he's greeted by his friends? Where were you? Where were you? And then add on this, the sting of this. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Dude, you were two miles away. Where were you? I felt like Mary before. I won't describe the specifics and the times because I don't expect you to describe your specifics and your times. But I felt that way. God, where are you? 
I'm one of the good guys, God. Where are you? Mary and Martha are like, dude, you're like a brother to us. I, I cook for you every time you're here. And not just for you, but all those stinky guys you bring along with you. Mary was like, ain't no food today, bro. Where were you? Where were you in my deepest, darkest moment? And then it happened. After a whole bunch of other things take place, they take Jesus to the tomb, and he tells them to to clear the entryway. And Jesus, in a powerful, stern voice, says what? Lazarus, get out here. Come on. A lot of people have kind of half-joked, but half-truth said it's, it's really important that Jesus called Lazarus by name because when Jesus spoke in, into a tomb and said, get out here, if he hadn't called Lazarus by name, every other person in that tomb would have come out. That is the power of his voice. But if he had that much power, why did you let our brother die? It's interesting in the middle of that dialogue that Jesus kind of points out to both Mary and Martha, you know, something, you know, sorry I wasn't here, but I'm here now. They missed that. They missed that. They had full belief that if Jesus, they both said, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. And it totally escaped them from the realm of possibility that I'm here now. Oh yeah, well, something could happen, you know, in the resurrection. Later, like, no, something could happen right now. Like when God shows up into that situation that you feel like that he left you stranded and alone. But when it suddenly he shows up and you know that he that you're in his presence, you're reminded that you're in his presence. You need to remember he can still do the same thing right now. Because in the end, which is greater to have kept him from dying or bring him back to life? Which way is God going to be more glorified? In your struggle, how is God going to be glorified? So I want us to look back three chapters. So if you opened your Bible then, if you didn't, open it now to John chapter 8. Because here's what we've been talking about. For this whole series, we've been looking at Matthew 25. We've been looking at how Jesus gave us these qualifiers to be able to know when you can see God and how we're going to be separated and God's in the hungry and God's in the thirsty and God's in the stranger and he's in the unclothed, he's in the sick, he's in the imprisoned, God's there. But how do we share that? John chapter 8, verse 12. Why was Jesus here? Jesus, why was he here? When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am. I am. Sounds familiar, right? I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are, appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And then Jesus said, really? He said, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. 
For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you have no idea. You got no clue what's going on here. Where I come from, where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I am not alone. See, he said, I judge no one because Jesus' role wasn't to judge. God's role is to judge. Jesus, the Bible tells us, is our mediator in front of the judge. Jesus is the one that will stand before the Father. And if we've accepted him, say, Dad, this one's with me. He's our mediator on our behalf. And he says, I stand with the Father who sent me in your own law. It is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other, my other witness, not a bad reference to have on your resume. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Guys, Jesus came to bring light into our God, where are you moments. That moment when you're crying out, God, where are you? Jesus' purpose was to bring light into those moments, and here's how he does it. First thing, I want you to remember, light, the light of the world removes fear. The light of the world removes fear. Because throughout the New Testament, there's this amazing correlation between light and love. I am the light of the world. I am love. I am the light of the world. I am love. And John said in 1 John 4, 8, perfect love casts out fear. I'm so tired of Christians living in fear. I'm so tired of blood-bought, born-again followers of Jesus Christ living in fear. Being paralyzed by fear. Fear has held me hostage at times, and I hate it. It's held all of us hostage in our personal lives at times. Fear has held the world hostage for the last two years. No different than if someone had knocked down your door, invaded your home, and taken you and your family hostage. That's what fear does. But get this. The light of the world perfect love came to drive out fear. That's good news. The light of the world came to remove all fear and doubt. See, here's what kidnappers do. Kidnappers come and they take people hostage, and then they hold them for ransom. And not only has the world and many of us been held hostage, there is a ransom. In fact, I would suggest to you that every person on the planet now and forever have been or will be is held hostage to fear because of sin. And that sin has a price tag on it. There is a ransom for your freedom. And the very Son of Man came not in this world to serve, but to be served. And to do what? What's it say? To give his life a what? A ransom for many. The light of the world came to remove fear by paying our ransom. That only thing that Satan had to hold over us can be taken away by accepting the blood of Jesus Christ in our lives and for our sin. So the first thing, the light of the world came to remove fear. All right? Second thing. The light of the world reveals evil. See, Satan wants us 
to be in the dark. Satan loves the dark. Evil loves the dark because in the dark, we don't see the evil around us until it's what? Too late. Here's what John said in chapter 3, verse 19. You know, just two or three verses after, after Jesus had said, uh, for God so loved the world, that passage, <clears throat> three verses later said, this is the verdict. Light me, light, Jesus talking, light me. I have come into the world, uh, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. We can talk all we want. Excuse me. We can talk all we want about wanting to be sinless and sin-free, but there are some things prompted by the evil one that we actually really enjoy. You know, what leads to sin? What leads to sin? Isn't it temptation? What's the whole purpose of temptation? Why do you throw that rubber worm up close to the bank about this time of year? Because you're tempting that big bass to come after the worm. Temptation in its nature looks good. If it didn't, it wouldn't be tempting. I am victim to a whole lot of foods. But trust me when I tell you, I can walk right past the sushi bar in any restaurant. For me, it is not a temptation. Wouldn't take it if you gave it to me. But Satan knows my temptation. We like it in the dark because then other people don't see when we bite the rubber worm, when we take what we really didn't need to have. C.S. Lewis was such a great uh, thinker, writer, theologian, preacher, all those things. (coughs) Excuse me. And he wrote in one of his classic books, in fact, his truly classic book, Mere Christianity. I'm going to read this paragraph from the book for you. He said, when I come to my evening prayers and try to reckon upon the sins of the day, nine times out of ten, the most obvious one is some sin against charity or against love. I have sulked or snapped or sneered or snubbed or stormed. And the excuse that immediately springs to my mind is that the provocation, the cause, was so sudden and unexpected that I was caught off guard. I had not the time to collect myself. Now that may be an extenuating circumstance as regards those particular acts. They would obviously be worse if they had been deliberate and premeditated. But on the other hand, he said... Surely what a man does when he is taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. Surely what pops out before the man has time to put on a disguise is the truth. If there are rats in a cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the sadness does not, the suddenness, excuse me, the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from going into hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of provocation does not make an ill-tempered man. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I already am. The rats are already there in the cellar, but if you go in shouting and noisily, they will take cover before you turn on the light. There's some wisdom right there, guys. 
There's some wisdom right there. Who we are is who we are until we let Christ truly make some changes in our life. But we need to understand this teaching from Scripture as well. The things that are done in darkness when we don't think anyone can see, the things that are done in darkness will be brought to light. That's why the light of the world's here. In in Luke chapter 12, he recorded Jesus saying this, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. Because the light of the world comes to remove fear. He also came to reveal evil. Those are kind of like the backside, the ugly side. But here's the cool part. The light of the world came to show the way. The light of the world shows the way. What is it Jesus said? And that one statement that Jesus made that's recorded for us in John chapter 14, in that one statement, Jesus was so out there on the edge that he either had to be who he said he was or the craziest man that ever walked on the earth. Because he just cut right to the chase. Thomas had asked him, Lord, we don't know where we're going, so how will we know the way? And Jesus said, Thomas, get this and don't ever forget it. I'm the way. Okay? I'm the truth. All right? I am the light. All right? And then this is the part that was the clincher. And no man can come to the Father except through me. It's the only way it's going to work. That's it. It's, it's a deal breaker. And in that moment, Jesus is either who he said he is or the craziest person that's ever been on this planet. See, the light guides us as we draw close to it. Some of you folks that have been around a while remember years ago, actually decades ago now, a, a book came out that several of our, our, our ABF classes studied called I- Experiencing God. It was written by a guy named Henry Blackaby. And there's so much truth in that book and so much great teaching and everything. The one thing I always remember is Henry Blackaby said, if you were stuck in the deepest, darkest forest that you could imagine, there probably is not a flashlight that is powerful enough to reveal the way. And we can have some pretty powerful flashlights and and we can put it on a beam that really shines. But if you're lost, if you're really lost in the middle of nowhere, that light probably won't get you all the way out. But guess what it will do? If you use it properly, it'll reveal your next step. And as you step into the light, it'll reveal your next step. And if you'll just keep stepping in the light, no matter how dark the moment seems, the light of the world will get you out. That's why he came. And you say, well, why doesn't he just show us the way all the way out? Because if the light of the world in your deepest, darkest moment suddenly revealed the exact way for you to get from where you are to where you actually think you want to be, then that is no longer faith. It is a fact because the way has been, you just gotta, you just gotta, okay, that's fine, good. But when you have to step in faith into the light that has been revealed to you, it requires you to keep stepping. It requires you to keep trusting because you don't see the desired outcome. You don't know what's up ahead. You just know what's in in that next step and in that next moment and you need to step in the light jesus came to reveal the light 
He came to be the light of the world. And in that light, there's a... There's a difficult balance. There's a difficult balance. I don't have any tattoos yet. But I've already decided what the first is going to be if it ever happens. It's actually going to be two things. One on each forearm. Truth and grace. Because I want to live in the middle. I want to live smack dab in the middle. Because there's a whole lot of our world that knows truth, they love truth, and they are more than willing to hammer you with truth. They're going to beat the sin out of you. I started to use another word but sin, but we'll go with sin. And they love it. And truth is awesome. Don't miss that. Truth is critical. It's awesome. But if we don't learn to understand grace, truth is worthless. But here's the other side of that problem. A whole lot of the world really loves grace. (laughs) Because in their mind, (laughs) grace lets me do whatever I want to do. Because a grace-filled God is going to forgive me. He's going to let me do it. And they love grace. They're kind. They're wonderful. You do some of the dumbest, stupidest things in the world. That's okay. We'll get it next time. It's okay. Don't worry about it. No. Truth is still here. Even in the midst of the most grace-filled life you can live, truth has to be here or there is no reality. The light of the world allows us to live in the balance of truth and grace. And to be able to speak truth to someone and love them when they miss it. And to love them when they miss it and then introduce truth back into their life. To put them right right back on the right path. Just like Jesus did when we talked about a few weeks ago with that woman caught in the very act of adultery. You know, your accusers are gone. Neither do I condemn you. Grace, that's grace. That's grace. But go and sin no more. That's truth. And we've got to live in the balance of that. Okay? So the light of the world. Where are you, God? The light of the world, it it comes to reveal What truth is, to show the way, to reveal evil, to show the way. It also, the light of the world also comes to help us grow. Mm. Mm. Part of me loves growing and part of me hates growing. The part of me that hates growing is because I tend to grow in places I'd rather shrink. Part of that's aging, I know, but... I sure like the days when my chest was bigger than a little bit lower. It helps us grow. It, photosynthesis is a scientific process of growth by which green plants and some other organisms use sunlight to synthesize food from carbon dioxide, carbon dioxide and water. And in plants, it generally involves the the green pigment, the chlorophyll, and generates oxygen as a byproduct. 
And this process of photosynthesis scientifically, it's really a three-step process. I looked it up in a science book to make sure that I was right. It's, number one, the absorption of light energy by chlorophyll. Number two, it's the conversion of light energy to chemical energy and splitting water molecules into hydrogen and oxygen. And number three, it's the reduction of carbon dioxide to carbohydrates. You guys all knew that, right? You knew part of it. You remembered See, in our spiritual life, Jesus came to introduce light. In photosynthesis, the beginning of that process is light. There has to be light introduced into the situation. And what is the very, this is so cool. What is the very first thing God ever said that we have recorded? Very first thing. Let there be light. The only thing that was going to help us grow and help change had to be introduced into the equation first and foremost. Let there be light. And then what we've been reading about all day today, Jesus came as the light. John chapter 9 verse 5, Jesus said, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then what did he call us to do? It's written on the wall out there above the coffee bar. He says, you are the light of the world. God said, let there be light. Jesus said, I came to bring light. Now you go be the light. There's the introduction of life that helps people's life change. God, where are you? Where are you in this darkness? We've got to introduce light into the darkness. The second thing is light creates energy that empowers water. What Jesus tell that woman at the well? You can drink all the water, all that water you want. But if you drink of the water I'm giving, you'll never thirst again. And he was that water. He was the light. He was the living water. And he was the change agent as well. Paul put it this way, anyone who is in Christ, the change agent, the one who was the light, the one who is the living water, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone and behold, all is made new. Spiritual photosynthesis is possible, but it requires light and living water and Jesus came to give us both. We need to hang on to that. I didn't think of this this morning, but I'm going to quote Ben over here. Stay with me, brother. About four years ago, Ben said the most amazing thing to me that I'd ever heard. We were talking about his life. We were talking about his injury. We were talking about all that he's been through. And that man sitting right over there said, If it meant not knowing what I know now about Jesus, I would choose to never walk again. My hero. I need a visual. I need a visual. I need something to understand. I I, I need something to understand that this stuff is real. Kevin's sitting over here a few months ago. Things weren't good, were they, brother? And God's good, though, isn't he? He's He's working through things. And I'm looking at people who have injuries and strokes and fall and people in this room who've lost loved ones far, far too early. And so there's got to be, that's the truth, by the way. That stuff is real. It happened. And by God's grace, they're still here. And he's still loving them in the moment. Mm, I could talk about that forever, but I can't. The final thing we got to see, and this is, this is real. The light of the world 
is supposed to be a beacon to the world. Why do they build lighthouses? Why do they build lighthouses? The easy answer that a lot of people would come up with is to warn ships of danger. And that's true. But lighthouses, some lighthouses also have a much more important feature. Not only are they to warn the ships of danger, they are to guide them into ports of safety. God wants through Jesus Christ to warn you of the dangers that are in the world, but he wants to draw you in as well. Jesus in Matthew 5 said, a town or a church that's built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on the stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and not brag on you, but glorify your father in heaven see guys here this is this is real and it's hard but we're called to live according to god's light so we look and act differently not weird because that's a deterrent just differently to show a better way to show his way to show the best way and here's the sad truth here's the sad reality today is that according to a lot of surveys, well done, well done surveys of a lot of people, of a lot of people, the reality is about 9% of professed believers, those who claim to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, only about 9% of them actually have a biblical worldview. The other 91% say, oh yeah, we believe in God. We even like going to church. But when it comes to making decisions, it's my idea. My idea. Let me show you what that looks like. Let me give you a visual of that. You guys just happen to be sitting in the lucky section. Would you, would you guys stand up in this pie section? Everybody, Miss Dory, you're fine, all right? Everybody else, stand up. All right? Come on, Glenn and Bonnie, that's you too. All right? Because you want to be in this group. You want to be in this group, trust me. Best of my estimate, that's about 9% of the people that are in here right now. You sat in the lucky seat even if you don't have great hair. Right. 9%, God. Y'all sit down. But 9%. Of people who already claim to be Christ's followers. When you start breaking it down and you start asking about the decisions they make and the way they live their lives and the things they believe in and the things they vote for and all kinds of other things like that, statistics show that only about 9 to 10% actually have a biblical worldview. And we wonder why we're in the mess that we're in. Because we're still living in darkness. Even though the light of the world has come, we're still living in darkness. Now, we all, know what it's, we all know what it's like to come out of the darkness into light. No, you, you, you did it this morning. <laughs> you woke up and opened the shades or turned on the light, or maybe your spouse did, and that's even worse, all right? But we know what it's like to come out of darkness into light. 
It takes a while to adjust. And when we're in that new light, we have to take things slowly. We can't run too fast. We've got to get our bearings. We've got to be able to see things. The world coming out of darkness needs to learn to live in the light. And we can't expect it to happen overnight. It takes a while for your eyes to adjust when you've been living in darkness. You ever seen one of those videos of a child that was born colorblind? And the family was finally able to get a pair of the glasses that allowed him to see color for the first time? Oh my goodness. In Mark 8, there's this story. Jesus heals and touches a blind man, spits in his eyes, spits in his hand, rubs his eyes. Do you see anything, Jesus asked him. He said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. And so then in verse 25, once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes and his eyes were opened. I, I read that story and I'm reminded of when I'm sitting at the optometrist and they keep changing the thing. Now can you see? Now can you see? And Jesus touched him once. Can you see? Well, yeah, I can see things, but that's not very clear. Okay, let me fix it. Let me dial you in. And he fixed it. And, and Jesus will do the same thing with our sin. Because when we're living in the darkness of sin, and we start to come out of it, Jesus, because of what? Because of this one. Because he's already pointed out this one, and then he'll use this one to help us make the adjustments that we need to make. You know what that process is called? Not photosynthesis. That's called disciple making. That's what we're called to do. See, guys, the reality is when you buy into the lies of a dark world, you are conforming to that world. Would Paul say, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, because of what God has done for you, because of the grace factor, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. And then he said this, here comes the truth side. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God, where are you? We need to know that. We need to know that. But we need to allow the light to reveal that to us. See, the whole idea that Paul was sharing was about transformation. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You know that, that word that is translated there, transformation? You know what it really is? It's the word metamorphi. It's the word that we get our word metamorphosis from. It's all about change. It's all about coming out of darkness. It's all about stepping to the light. It's so easy in that process of metamorphosis to focus on the butterfly and forget the worm. But when we do that, we also forget that the real struggle happens in the cocoon. Because that's where the change is taking place. And we got a lot of people around us that are living in a spiritual cocoon right now, and that's okay because a butterfly is coming. Because the reality is coming. But the struggle's worth it. <clears throat> and it's possible because Jesus paid it all. And because of that, we've already won. 
if we just pick the right team. March Madness is kind of a lot like the world. There are a lot of teams. But at the end of the day, only one wins the bracket. And the reality is, in this game, in this battle, in this metamorphosis, in this photosynthesis, the same team always wins. Because light has come into the world and darkness is gone. God is here. Because Jesus came to pay it all. Would you guys stand with me? If you've never accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I really, I got to challenge you to commit to that. I got to challenge you to consider that. And so while we sing this this great, great song of faith. Would you consider taking a step of faith toward the decision room? Bobby's over there. If more and more people come, Bradley and Victoria are in here. We've got elders in. We, we, we can take care of it. And if you don't need to take that step of faith, would you pray that someone else will while we sing this song together? Stay here 
still white as snow. I'm so glad you are here today. It's been, a, I think, a great series of learning how to how to be the hands and feet of Jesus by trusting in the light of the world. Real quick, let me let you know, if this is your first time here, uh, we've got a gift for you out in the lobby at the I'm New Wall. I encourage you to stop out there. This week, this Tuesday night, is our Pathways for this month, and a lot of people have already signed up. If you haven't signed up, you can still do it. You can get online, or you can go find Bobby, who happens to be standing right over there, and uh, he can help get your name, and we'll get you in the system for Pathways Tuesday night at 6 o'clock. Also, if you're still interested in helping out uh, with the visitation team, that we mentioned last week. Bobby's also in charge of that, so see him about that one. Uh, the Theology 201 class, we're on a roll here. Bobby also teaches that one. It's Bobby Day, all right? Uh, but that is at 11.30 today. Sorry we don't have breakfast for you uh, today before that class, but uh, number, uh, class two of Theology 201 is today, and it's in the seminar room that's right out there behind that wall. Uh, we're still continuing to take a love offering today uh, for our friends, uh, family at Grace Assembly. Uh, the water bottles for FCA are out in the lobby. Ladies, ladies, this coming Saturday from 9 to 11 is going to be an incredible, incredible uh, ladies event, uh, women's event over in the stew. Uh, Christy Davis is going to be leading worship. One of our ladies is sharing an incredible testimony that you really, really need to hear. There'll be food. There'll be fellowship. Uh, so you can sign up at the table that's back there by the sign-up wall, or you can get online, go to our Facebook page, and there's a link to it, and you can sign up there as well. Guys, thanks so much for being here. Love God. Love people. Let's go change the world. We'll see you guys.